Dear congregation, when you're driving and you come to that red sign that says stop, you know that you are to stop. There's also other times when you're to to pull over. It can also be when you hear those sirens going, then you, you pull over to let that ambulance or let that police car go by. There's also another time when people may pull over to the side of the road. And that is when there's a funeral procession. At least where I used to live in a more rural area than it was very standard, everyone would pull to the side and wait as that funeral procession came by. As a sign of respect. As a sign also of of having that pause to remember death is real. Just in that moment, in the midst of the busyness of life, you see that funeral procession and you pull over and you you have that moment of pause, that moment of showing respect. In our text, we also have a funeral procession But it's a funeral procession which is stopped by someone who is coming from the other direction. And this is not in any way a disrespect and a failure to show respect for the ones who are coming to bury their loved one. Instead, this is a funeral procession being stopped by the Prince of Life, by none less than the Lord Jesus Christ himself He stands there and he stops the procession. And he doesn't only stop the procession for a moment so that it may continue on again, but he does something far more glorious than that. And that is why this account has such a message for us in the midst of the reality of death. And so let us listen to the Prince of Life Stops a Funeral. First, his compassion to the grieving, and second, his power over death. The prince of life stops a funeral, his compassion to the grieving, and second, his power over death. And then in the end, we'll see more lessons from this account. But to see this funeral procession, we need to go to Nain. It's not a place we read of often in the Word of God. It was a, a smaller village. It appears that what it was to the north, a town in Galilee on the slopes of a mountain which was called the Little Hermon. And the accounts tell us that it was a beautiful location where you could look out over the Jezreel Valley And especially when everything was growing, it would be a beautiful sight. And you could look further to the mountains that were further off. And perhaps if it was a really clear day, you could even see Mount Hermon in the far distance. This was a beautiful place. But on this day, there's someone who had no eye for the beauty of this place. There's someone who did not just look around and admire the beauty and hear the birds singing. There is one who was going, and as she was going, she was accompanied by the wails of almost the whole village, many people with her, wailing. And 
And ahead of her, there was this bier, like a stretcher. And on that stretcher, there was something underneath cloth which covered it. And everyone knew who that, what that was. It was her son. He had died. We're not told how he died. Was it a, a slow illness that wasted away his body? Was it a sudden accident? We don't know, but we know he died. And he was a young man. That's how the Lord Jesus addresses him later, young man. And that word for young man is a word that can apply to a young lad. It's also the same word that's used for the rich young ruler. So there's a variety of ages that are used to, that this tech word is used to describe. But clearly he was young in relation to many others in society. And yet he died. And so it can be. So sudden so slow, but that there is death. He was the only son, it says, of his mother. She had lost not only her firstborn, but her only son, and now she is childless, or at least she has no son. What a sorrow. And on top of that, she is called a widow, she had a husband, but she had made that procession before as she brought her husband, presumably, to the grave, and he is gone, and now the gen the, their son is also dead and heading for the grave. What a grief, what a loss, especially in that culture, to be a widow without a husband and without a son was to be so vulnerable and so open to being misused or being there in poverty. No strong man to stand up for her, to provide for her, to care for her. And so we see in this woman someone who goes through so much. Why did her husband have to die? Why did her son have to die? When you look around in that crowd and you see others who have their husband and have their children and perhaps they're all walking together and they've never taken any of their very immediate loved ones to the grave. And why her? They were spared. Her loved ones not. Congregation, let's take just a moment to look at her. And as you take in this scene and then you look at your own life, you also see things that you're so thankful for. And I don't mean to minimize suffering you may have gone through, but if you have your spouse, is that not such a gift? And if you're sitting here and you have your children in your bench with you, and God hasn't taken them away by death, is that not a gift? If your children are older and they're elsewhere, but they're, they're still living, is that not such a gift that God gives? So we're reminded here, easily these gifts can be taken away. Perhaps one of the reasons I was drawn to this text was the news in this past week of a young 
man in 12th grade in the school that our children went to in Canada was suddenly killed in a car accident in the fog last week, 17 years old. Coming Tuesday, there'll be parents bringing a teenager to the grave. He was full of energy. And in a moment, it's gone. It's over. What a reality that is to be aware of, to make us realize that every day we and loved ones and friends are spared. It's only God's sparing mercy. What a gift. But maybe when you, when you look at this scene and see this woman so, so sad, so overwhelmed with trouble, maybe there's ones here who also identify with her. Your life is filled with trouble. You are grieving on the ruins of life. And there's many voices who say, who will show you any good? Maybe there's others in the congregation who see this funeral and you wonder, will I be next? Maybe God is bringing home that message of the reality of death to a young person who's 17 or who's younger or who's older, also among us, and you realize, yes, the sun may be shining and and I may be healthy and I may be doing okay in school and I may have friends, but what if death suddenly comes, then what? And it takes the shine off of life, the shine after all, off of all the, the pleasures of this world. Death, then what? What comfort can there be in the midst of the reality that I'm heading to the grave and I may be there sooner than I realize? And heading to the grave also means coming before God. Who can help us then in the midst of the troubles of life or the fears concerning death? Then there could be all kinds of people around you and yet you can feel so alone in your trouble or in your distress. And people can come and people can say nice things to you and yet those words can seem so empty to you in the midst of your trouble and in your need. We know, don't we, how powerless we can feel when we see another in deep need, how powerless you can feel to be able to really help them in their need. Who can help us? There's only one. Only one. Do you see him? Do you see him tonight revealing himself in this passage of the word of God As this funeral procession leaves the village, he is there in that other crowd that's coming towards the village. Some may have seen that funeral procession coming and thought, oh, what a a disturbance, what a nuisance that this is in our way. But, and others, or many of them may have gone to the side to allow the funeral procession to, to pass by. But the Lord Jesus does not do so. He's the one who comes right to that funeral procession and he comes right to where that woman is and right to where that dead boy is and he doesn't move aside but he comes there and he stops and they stop 
and they cannot go any further, he meets this funeral procession. Some may have thought in the funeral procession, if only he had come earlier. Now it's too late. If he had come yesterday, after all, they bury the same day someone dies there. If only he had come yesterday. Now it's too late. Poor timing. What do we read? When the Lord saw her. He didn't simply see a crowd in his way, he saw her. He saw this widow whose son had just died. He saw her in a way no one else saw her. He saw the grief written on her face, but he saw even more. He saw into her mind and into her heart because he is the Lord who knows all things. He saw those painful questions within. He saw those fears within. He saw the agony that may have filled her at the moment. He saw right into her heart the things that she may not have been able to put into words to those around her or even put into words to him. He saw her, everything about her and all that was happening to her. He saw her. But the focus of the text is not even simply that he saw her. Literally, it says in Greek, seeing her, he had compassion on her. The main clause of the same sentence is not the seeing, but that seeing he had compassion. Compassion filled his heart as he saw her. Do you see it? Do you see what he is revealing to you tonight? He is the one full of compassion. And that word for compassion is so rich. This compassion is a loving heart being moved with the plight and the suffering and the misery and the need of others. He shows that in his heart there is this tender concern, this loving care, this tender pity for ones in need. This, this word here that's used comes from the word that describes someone's bowels. Because when you feel something, you feel it very deep down inside you. This is what Christ has, this deep compassion within him when he sees others in their needs. Profoundest sympathy, moving his heart of hearts. This is who Jesus Christ is. Is this the Jesus that you know? The one who sees. And when he sees, he's moved with compassion. It's what it declares here in his word of truth. The devil can whisper there's no compassion in this Christ. At least not for someone like you. And your own heart can say there's no compassion for someone like me. 
And your own feelings can make you think it's not so. But truer than all those things is the word of God, which reveals that Christ is one filled with compassion. Because he's God, and God is a God of compassion. The Psalms are full of testimonies that the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Not just a little. Not just intermittent now and then. It says he's full of compassion. This is who he is. Yes. And for what kind of people does he have compassion? Look at these people here. These are people in a procession that are about to bury someone. They are in that procession which is marked by the reality of death. And why is there death in this world? There is death in this world because there is sin in this world because we have fallen from the God of life. This, te- this funeral, as every funeral, is a testimony of the reality that we are fallen sinners and have brought death upon ourselves by our sin. That is what these people are. These are not just innocent victims of great suffering. These are ones who live as sinners in a fallen world of sin. That's why there's graves. That's why there's death. Tears of that woman are the tears of a child of Adam who deserves to weep tears without comfort to all eternity. That's what children of Adam are, every one of them, including us. And if Christ has compassion towards any fallen child of Adam, then there's no child of Adam that can say he can have compassion on others but not on me. Because at bottom, by nature, we're all the same. That's the wonder of the compassion of Christ. He's moved with compassion for this woman who's reminded of the consequences of sin in this fallen world. And his compassion is then for sinners. And it's striking that he's moved with compassion even for one here who doesn't call to him for mercy, but walks on in her grief even though he is near and does not stop and does not say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. No, she's walking past, as it were. But he sees her. She doesn't see his compassion. She doesn't see his power. But he sees her. And as he sees her, his heart is moved with compassion. And that is what is so precious and so valuable. My friend, he has a heart of compassion. There's no question about that. The only question is this. Are you able to walk past the Christ of compassion and continue on your life? Or does his compassion make you stop tonight 
and make you cry out for that compassion and that mercy. Robert Murray McChain, he puts it this way. I do not know what it is that your heart loves most, but this I know, that you love to go away from Christ and from God. But Christ's eye is upon you all, your histories, your hearts. He knows every step you've taken, every sin you've committed, every lust that reigns in your heart. His eye is now on this assembly. And I will ask you a question. What does Jesus feel when he looks on you? Some will say anger. Some will say revenge. What does the Bible say? Compassion. Christ pities you. Is that really true? Be standing here, you sitting here. Stop. Christ is calling us to stop tonight before him who stands before us in the gospel. And if you may only know, he sees me tonight as I am. He knows me and his heart is filled with compassion. Then there's hope. Even if no one else understands, even if no one else can help me. To then say, all my prayer is now before me. Thee. All my trouble thou dost know. Let my prayer now find acceptance in thy mercy. Answer me. In thy mercy. And if this is what is in his heart, will he not also show that compassion? Do you see it? There comes that funeral procession. And there is that woman, and there is the Lord Jesus, and they come together. And what does the Lord Jesus say? He says, weep not. And on the lips of anyone else to say to a widow in the funeral of her only son, weep not, would be very cold and very uncaring and uncompassionate. But when Christ says it as the Prince of Life, weep not, he says it with a compassion which is able to truly comfort her and dry her tears and deliver her from her distress and trouble. Because only he has the power to take away the cause of her tears. This is not what you need. What I need, amid our troubles, amid our spiritual struggles, amid all the sin and need there can be, this compassionate Savior not only sees, who not only shows, who has compassion, but is also able to deliver from the cause of trouble. And that's in our second point, his power over death. You see those two groups meeting together just outside the town. The one is coming out, wailing, hurrying, 
In those days, they did not have funeral processions like we do, where you walk quietly and slowly and respectfully. No, they would, they would hurry and they would be wailing and there would be that noise. And on the other direction, from the other direction is coming this crowd who is, that is with the Lord Jesus. And there is Jesus and the woman and that beer with the dead body of her son. Now, what does he do? He touches that beer, that stretcher on which that son is lying. Unheard of. You don't touch anything that's connected with a dead body, because if you do, you become unclean. You don't do that. He touches it. And he speaks, young man, I say unto thee, arise. He comes as that prince of life. He stops the the funeral procession and he doesn't give in. He doesn't go aside. He stops and he commands, young man, arise. The prince of life is the one who issues this command. He doesn't tell others to prop up this this body. No, he commands this one to rise. We say, how can he do that? How can he speak to someone who is dead? To be dead is to be dead. And if you're dead, you cannot hear. You cannot respond to anything someone tells you to do if you're dead. Children, maybe you've seen at a funeral home the body of someone who died. And it looks like they're sleeping. But if you know that if you say to that body, wake up, the body, that person doesn't wake up. Dead means there's no life. And yet here comes the Lord Jesus, and he knows that that boy is dead. He's not in a coma. He's not just fainted. No, he's dead. And he says, young man, arise. It's impossible to hear. And yet we read, and he that was dead sat up and began to speak. Dead one moment, and the next moment his eyes open, and he sits up there on that, that beer, and he begins to speak. And his speaking is a confirmation that he's truly alive. And we begin, can begin to wonder, now what did he speak about, and what did he say, and did he remember what it was like moments before when he was dead? Scripture is not given to satisfy our curiosity. And so often our curiosity distracts us from the main point. The main point is this. Christ's compassion is so great that he overcomes death and he does so by the word of his mouth. He says, arise, and that boy arises from the dead. Is it any wonder that fear came upon those crowds that were coming to Nain and leaving Nain, that they are, they are shocked and they were amazed and they, they witnessed this great work of God and it says they glorified God, they praised God for what he had done in a moment changing a funeral procession into a crowd of witnesses of his power. 
They realized that God's great power and compassion had come through this Jesus of Nazareth. And so that they realized he must be great. They say, as it says here, a great prophet is risen up among us. He is one of us. He is a man from among us in Galilee. And yet he is so much greater than us all. Is he the great prophet prophesied of? Is this the dawn of the day of the Lord that had been prophesied of? Is this the great Messiah? One thing they're sure of, God has visited his people. Prophecies are being fulfilled. A prophet is risen up who's very man. And yet here they see that God himself is visiting the people And these two responses together have a message which is so profound, perhaps more profound than most of them realized. But here was indeed God's visiting them. God come in the flesh. Here is the great prophet who was prophesied of to come not only as a prophet but also as a priest and as a king to be the Messiah and mediator. Here he was as the prince of life, the resurrection and the life. And what a message that is for us, congregation, as we we gather this evening. We gather in a world full of death. And there's a sense in which we're all in one great funeral procession. Some are closer to the grave and others are further from the grave, but we're all heading for the grave if the Lord Jesus tarries and we don't, aren't still alive when he returns. And as we are heading for the grave, there's many people who, who may say, just don't, don't think about the grave and don't think about death. That'll, that'll take away your joy in life. Just, just ignore it. Pretend it's not there. Just look around and listen to the birds as they sing and look at the, the beauty and enjoy things of life. But the reality is we're heading there, all of us. And none can deliver us from this death. But the one who stopped this funeral procession, the Prince of Life, the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life, he that believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Isn't that amazing? He's the one who can raise the dead because he's the one who can remove the death sentence. God said to Adam, the day you eat, you shall die. That's why ever since mankind has been in that funeral procession to death. Death is the final word because the wages of sin is death. To be delivered from death, we must be delivered from the death sentence. And that means our guilt, which demands death, must be cleared away. And who but Christ can clear away that death sentence? And that is what He has secured the right to do. Here he stops a funeral. But in a short while, there will be another funeral. And it will not be a great multitude that surrounds those who, who carry that body. We read of two men 
who carry the body of none less than Jesus Christ. This young man can come off the bier, can I say, and the time will come when Christ will be carried to the grave. Why will he be carried to the grave? His body, him the prince of life, to go into the grave. It will be to confirm that he had truly died. Why did he truly die? It's because the wages of sin is death. But he had no sin. He did not deserve death. But you see him here in our, pa- our passage. He touched that beer. And to touch what is connected with death is to become ceremonially unclean. That uncleanness then becomes your uncleanness. And is that not a powerful picture of what the Lord Jesus himself did? He did not only come into this world, but he identified with the unclean. And he took that uncleanness upon himself. He, and with that, he took that death sentence against sin upon himself. And he entered into death as that substitute in the place of those who deserve to die, who deserve the grave to be their destination. And beyond the grave, everlasting death, eternal death to be their destination. He entered death as that great substitute in the midst of the history of this world of dying people heading for the grave. He went with them into the grave and rose from that grave and took that life to himself again in his own power and by the decree of the Father who was pleased with his work in offering himself up as a sacrifice for sin unto death, he rose again and he is now the Prince of Life with authority to deliver from the grave and from death and from the sentence to death. His blood is a perfect payment for sin. And that's why he now says to those who are under the sentence of death, Arise, and I lift that sentence off you so that you may live. That's why he can say in John 5, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And when he delivers from that death sentence, he delivers from the very worst form of death. What is that? It's not the grave. It's not even eternal death. Have you discovered what the very worst form of death is? Spiritual death. Because spiritual death is to be dead towards God means there's no life in your heart that beats with love to God and devotion to God and a desire for God and a trust in God. It's dead. It's not there. And that's the very worst type of death, spiritual death. And that's what characterizes everyone by nature, spiritual 
death towards God. And the worst part of it is, in that spiritual death, we then just let the Prince of Life walk by. We don't even confess our deadness and cry out to God for mercy. My friend, if you come to realize your problem isn't just that you sin now and then, and if only you didn't do that and didn't do the other thing, then you'd be a good person. If you come to realize that your problem is by nature, you're dead in sins and trespasses. Maybe you don't want to admit that. Maybe you don't want to think it's so bad. But this is what God testifies in his word. Are you going to argue with him and say, I'm not as bad as God says I am? that you've never come to realize this is my natural state, debt. And then also this reality that Christ delivers from that spiritual grave doesn't mean anything to you. Because you say, that doesn't apply to me. And then you miss the wonder, the wonder of what Christ has come to do to quicken those who are dead in sins, to enliven and raise from the dead those who are dead in sins. If that doesn't even bother you, that's only an evidence of spiritual death that it it doesn't bother you. You can just go on thinking you're not so bad. But is that not then a reality to bring before God, to confess before God your blindness, your deadness to this one who raises the dead to life? Or if there's someone here who who questions, is it, do I really live? Or am I just going through some motions? But is my heart still dead towards God? Is that not something to bring before this Prince of Life tonight? who's moved with compassion, filled with compassion, even towards such. He is. That's why if if there's someone who's become so discouraged, and you've tried to live to God's honor, and you've tried to, you realize you need to repent, and you realize you need to believe, and you realize you need to do all those things, And you you say, God has every reason to call me to do so. But you find yourself so powerless. Do you see him stand tonight as a prince of life who comes through the gospel and who comes and visits us here tonight through his word as the one who gives life to those who are dead? He's the one who speaks. Young man, I say to you, arise. His word has life-giving power. Why did he speak? He could have just made that young man arise without him saying a single thing. 
But he spoke to show that he raises to life through the power of his word. And that's to bring us to his word and bring us under the call of his word with expectation in this Christ whose words are spirit and whose words are life. He said it already. In John 5, verse 25, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. And what what he's speaking of there is not of what will happen in that final day, but what happens even now as the living Son of God speaks through his word, through the preaching of the gospel, he raises sinners to life. That's how powerful and how compassionate it is. Why does that call sound here week after week to hear the voice of Christ? It's not because of confidence in your ears, but because of confidence in the Christ who uses that word to effect what he commands. He says, arise. And it's by that very call, arise, that he enables to arise. And he says, come, and by that very power of his call, come, he enables to come. And he says, believe, and by the very power of his call, he enables to believe. He says, turn, and by the very power of that call, he enables to turn because his voice is the voice of the living Son of God who's moved, who's full of compassion. That's why he calls tonight, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light, life, all. What a Savior. Surely God has visited, not just 2,000 years ago in Christ, but he visits As his word is proclaimed, he comes, he visits. As we go through life, heading for the grave, Christ comes and stands here in the preaching. Whether you came longing to hear his voice, or whether you came just out of custom, or whether you came for a number of other reasons, you and I are here where he speaks and calls, arise, arise, and live. Is that not a voice to hear, to stretch out to hear this voice? If you feel so deaf to this voice, confess your deafness to this Christ. Will he not be moved with compassion when he sees the deaf and he sees the blind and he sees even the dead? Moved with such a compassion to raise young men, young women, boys and girls, adults, through his word. He does. Who here says he does? He does, I know he does, because that's the only explanation for why I live, why I live spiritually. It's because of the power of the voice of the Son of God.
the Son of God who crossed my path with his gospel, the Son of God who stopped me as as I was going through life, heading for the grave, the Son of God who raised me to spiritual life. Whenever that was, however that was, that it comes down to this, his word is spirit and is life and is life-giving. Oh, my friend, is that not something to fill you with amazement? To, to confess with these people, God has visited, not just us in general, but God has visited me. What a wonder. What a grace. What makes you to differ from others who have continued walking on past this glorious Christ of compassion and power? It's all his grace. Is that not reason to fill you with with amazement and gratitude to God tonight? And he sought you out. He raised you. My friend, don't you need that Savior your life long? He said, the flesh profits nothing. But the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Do you not need this living Savior your life long? And he gives that life-giving grace through his word, through his voice. And will you not be, be daily at his gates, hearing what he has to say, which not only teaches you, but also gives life? His voice. Can you not be so thankful that he sees you, sees everything about you, and that his heart is as full of compassion as the moment you first discovered that he is the Christ of compassion? All that you've been and all that you've done has not begun to lower the measure of compassion in his heart. It's as full today as it ever was. And if it's as full today, then it's still full for you and all that you're going through, whatever it be. But it's enough, not only for you, but also for others, isn't it? And is that not, does that not then come with that call? That call to seek to bring others on his path as well as he goes through this world with his gospel, is it not a call to bring others before him that their paths would cross and he would give life to them as well? When you see others around you who so need this prince of life, will you not bring them to that gospel, to this Christ? Yes, in prayer, first of all, but also bring them under the word of God. That's why if there are ones of your loved ones who are still without this Christ, you may be so encouraged when you see them there where Christ is coming with his word, and you do so with a prayer in your heart, don't you? And parents may do so for their children and others for, for others. Here is where he's pleased to work. Sometimes there can be others as well who, who no longer want to hear the gospel or have never really heard the gospel. 
And we can tend to think, well, they're just heading on and they're heading to the grave and they'll never change and they'll never... No, they'll never change of themselves. But do you not see tonight who this Christ is? As a prince of life, so full of power, so full of compassion, he is the one who sends his gospel into this world and reaches the most unlikely in our minds and he reaches them and he raises them to life and he gives them eternal life. Oh, let that also be an encouragement for you also to bring to others this gospel, this call of the living Christ, that Christ would use you to bring that call to them and that through you, Christ himself would reach them and say, arise, and pull them out of that death and bring them to life, to know him, the prince of life. He uses the weakest of means so that the excellency of the power would be of him and not of us. Let it then encourage you to continue to bring that word, knowing It's a means Christ uses to bring to life. Many, as we go on that journey to the grave, maybe you say, but then the grave still is a final word. Even if he brings us to spiritual life, we still have to enter into the grave. Yes, that's right. But the Christ who said here, young man arise, is the one whose voice will sound on that final day. Arise. And all the graves will open. And everyone will arise. And everyone will stand before God. And then it will become so clear how blessed it is to already hear his voice in this life and already know this Christ in this life as the one full of compassion already in this life because on that final day when he raises all from their graves, then he will usher in all those who know his compassion already now into that place where there is the fullness of life And there is no need for him to be moved with pity towards his suffering people anymore because there'll be no suffering anymore. There'll be no tears to wash away, to wipe away like this woman's tears had to be wiped away. Every tear will be wiped away and there will only, only be life, the fullness of life. Oh, congregation, that to have that in the future, not just the grave, but that life. That's why Christ comes tonight. In this funeral, meets this funeral procession by Nain. Not so that we would just step back and see it and see him go on. But that we would, as he calls, this prince of life calls, incline your ear, come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. Amen. O 
O Lord God, we pray to Thee this evening, and we give Thee thanks for Thy Word, and that in it Thou dost come, O glorious living Christ, to visit us, that Thy eye is upon us, and Thou dost see everything about us, all our sin and all our need, and that Thy heart is full of compassion, and that Thy arm is full of power. O Lord, we pray to do what thou hast said, to be the Christ thou art. Lord, speak, and we shall live, each one of us, for thy word has life-giving power. Lord, raise from that spiritual grave and raise evermore to newness of life. And also use us, Lord, to bring others to where thou art with thy gospel, and that they may hear, and hearing may live. And that so we may live with that even while we may be heading to the grave, yet see beyond the grave to him who is the resurrection and the life. Glory be to thy name, that thou hast sent thy Son to enter death to give life and raised him to thy right hand to be the one who gives life even today. Lord, we pray to receive our thanks for all that thou hast given, all the grace, and we look to thee for all the grace that we need. We pray to bless us in the week that has begun with thy day. Keep us in thy care, keep us from sin, Keep also from an unprepared death. And that if we are to meet thee this week, it would be found in Christ, who is the life. Lord, we pray to receive our thanks and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.